Touch them all, Joe! Welcome to the Backstage Project Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Silver. In this episode, we're joined by Jim Lawson, the CEO of Woodbine Entertainment Group and former chairman of the CFL Board of Governors. Jim, thanks for joining us. Mark, great to be on. Thank you. It's great to chat. I know we met a number of years ago. We we probably met in Hamilton, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, it's good to take the time just to get reconnected. For our conversation, I really wanted to start by uh, by setting the stage with you. So did some research, of course, coming into this chat. You know, your grandfather owned a CFL team. Your dad played, won a, won a great cup. And then you chose hockey. So I just want to understand how that was allowed to happen in your house. Well, that's interesting uh, how it was allowed to happen. I can tell you um, not only was my dad a quarterback, but my uh, my brother quarterbacked ultimately for University of Western Mustangs. And then he uh, he took a year off before he did his MBA and he took the Burlington Braves to the National Junior Championship in, I think, 72 under Bernie Custis. And then he went back and, and did his MBA at Mac and played two years, uh, two more years at Mac before he was drafted by the Tiger Cats. Um, so... I mention all of that, as you can imagine, with uh, a dad and an older brother uh, as quarterbacks that I spent most of my youth, if not all my youth, catching footballs. Um, so I could catch the football pretty well. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I played hockey at an early age, like a lot of people. And, uh, and, and uh, people ask, where did I go to camp? Well, I always went to hockey camp every summer, whether it was Tam O'Shanter or Halliburton Hockey Haven or whatever. And uh, and I think uh, I, I, you know, played very well very early on in my career. I think uh, I grew up, we, we won a big tournament in Quebec when I was nine years old. I think that was the first time I got on an airplane and, uh, and I had a, a good career. I was drafted by the Ottawa 67s and uh, from the very beginning, I wanted to play college hockey. I had a couple of friends ahead of me. Um, that had gone to Ivy League schools, and uh, that was always my dream, was to play college hockey. Uh, Roger Nielsen uh, traded for me. He traded, actually, Bobby Miller, who passed away this past year. Um, He was uh, at University of New Hampshire, and Ottawa 67s wanted to bring Bobby Miller up for the playoffs. So uh, Roger uh, Nielsen, who had his rights in Peterborough, traded uh, Bobby Miller's rights to Peterborough, and I went to Peterborough. Roger thinking he could talk me into it. Well, he talked my dad into it. He came into our house with his, his dog and sat down with us. And, uh, and when he left, my dad said, so you're going to Peterborough? And I said, no, I'm not, Dad. I'm going, I'm going to college still. And uh, he said, how can you turn down a man like that? He's, he's keen on education. He's a high school teacher. And I stuck to my guns. I, uh, I had a number of choices, and I went to... Uh, I went to Brown. Um, actually, it was a tough time. Uh, I mentioned a, a couple of friends who had preceded me. Uh, Lance Nethery, who may be the greatest player ever at Cornell, certainly I think is the all-time leading scorer at Cornell. He was a year ahead of me, played on that uh, novice team in Burlington. Uh, and uh, I almost went to Cornell with Lance, but I ended up uh, going to Brown where my friend Tim Bothwell was. And uh, Tim ended up playing in the NHL for about 12 years, mostly with St. Louis. And uh, Lance played a couple of years with the Rangers, did well in the playoffs one year, then went to Europe. But uh, 
in any event, I went I went to Brown and uh, and uh, was drafted by the Canadians and and really yeah I was more of a hockey guy than uh, than football as it turned out but uh, I guess uh, you gravitate towards things you were good at and and I think I worked hard at hockey from an early age and uh, it, it opened a lot of doors for me later on in my life that's for sure. Well, those life lessons and and the community that you grew up in and, and some of those names and where where those people went on to I mean. That's that's really something, and and I know that you know after Brown and after your hockey career, you you, you found your way and you found yourself in, into a into a legal career, but then later on, you know, you, uh, you became the you know the chairman of the CFL board. You were interim commissioner uh, for a while there, but I think you know, and this goes back to where you and I met, which was in Hamilton. Inside, even though you were you had to be objective in those other roles, you, you were always cheering for the for the black and gold, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I, I, I'd like to say that I was always objective and, and recognized if there was ever any conflicts. And actually, there were from time to time some conflicts. Uh, in particular, I can say that uh, Kent Austin uh, moved into our block in Oakville, and Kent and I became famous friends for a while. And of course, Ken, Kent uh, faced some issues with the league, and I, uh, I had to either refrain from expressing an opinion, uh, recognizing that. Uh, um, it, was, it was certainly a conflict given my, my friendship, but uh, given my grandfather's history and, and my dad and my brother and my uncle also played for the uh, Tire Cats. He was on the first team, my uncle Gord, in the 1950 season. He was on the first uh, Tiger Cat team officially. My grandfather and Ralph Cooper were instrumental in merging the Tiger Cats and the Wildcats, or the Hamilton Tigers, sorry, and the Hamilton Wildcats in 1949 to become the uh, Tiger Cats in 1950. And my uncle Gord played on that first team. And then uh, thereafter, the, the Sazios moved into our neighborhood. Um, I am the, uh, the, uh, the godfather of Ralph Sazio's first godchild, uh, Ralph's son, uh, Mark and I remain great friends, and uh, so I've uh, I've kind of been black and gold since the beginning, and uh, I'm still uh, pretty close to the organization. In fact, uh, the owner called me this afternoon, so I'm going to try and get together with Bob uh, Bob this week. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I I've, I've been wearing black and gold since uh, I was born. Well, one of these days I do have to get Bob on this podcast, but uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see about that. And you know, we will not talk about the Great Cup. In, in 2014 that's just a subject that we'll we'll get through this podcast and and leave alone but you know yeah it was, it was well we'll leave it alone but boy that was a bad a bad bad call in my view I can say that now it was a little push from the side almost and and it would have been one of the great uh, gray cup moments when when Speedy ran that uh, ran back for a touchdown there and and anyway it is what it is and uh, that's sports is character building Exactly. No, exactly. You know, Andrew and I were just talking before you and I got on the got on the call today about, you know, th things happen. We can't put an asterisk on every victory. Sport is sport. But looking at last season, you know, 2020, you know, the CFL, CFL lost their season because of COVID. You know, the, the businesses that you're running and are very passionate about right now, Woodbine, Mohawk, you know, you, you haven't been running horses uh, since since November from what I've seen. And I wanted to just get into this topic, and it's probably a hot topic. I'll say that ahead of time. But you know, the Ontario government let the NHL come back. How did that feel? 
Well, it, uh, it, it certainly was frustrating. Um, what was frustrating more than anything uh, is that uh, using Mohawk in, as an example, we started there June the 5th and ran five nights a week. And between then and actually we ran till December the 19th or 20th, we, uh, we didn't have a single positive COVID transmission on the property. And uh, large part, uh, firstly, uh, credit to our management team and the protocols that we put in place. We worked with the government closely, which is another interesting aspect because everything we did was, was hand in hand with the government to get racing going early. And then the horse community just did a tremendous job. I think they stepped up and recognized that they had to do their part to keep everyone safe and they, and they did. And um, so it was, it was disappointing. What I, what I think, and I've, I've said this many times, is that when the government came down, came forward with the lockdown language uh, around December 23rd with the lockdown effective on Boxing Day, uh, that there were specific sports that were contemplated that they may be able to start, and they called them professional sports. And they listed, among others, they listed the National Hockey League, uh, the NBA, the CFL, but no mention whatsoever of horse racing. Horse racing was uh, treated separately and said they it could train only. Um, but what it really did is it made it a major hurdle to overcome, to even get ourselves at the table, to have the discussion with the government that, hey, we're on that list and you should be able to talk to us pursuant to that language. But that was the, the part that was, um, I would say, pretty offensive to the entire horse racing industry is we were not mentioned on that list of possible sports. Switching gears a bit, you know, I can't think of a better person to speak with and help our listeners understand, you know, the regulatory environment around, around sports betting. Obviously, horse betting as well, we'll include in there, the the racetrack. Yeah. So for a moment, I just want to put the decriminalization of single event betting aside, you know, unless it's vital to how you look at answering the, the next question. But from where I'm sitting, Jim, the, uh, you know, I can bet on horse racing in person, you know, when you're operating, obviously online, I can do it off track, actually pretty close to my house. You know, I can bet on sports right now through pro line, through, through parlays, uh, but that's really just offline, hopefully online soon. We'll see how quickly the technology, uh, for at least OLG here in Ontario, is able to come live for everyone. But the regulation that's coming that we're all hearing about that's causing you know, Rogers Media to hire a head of betting that has has the score stock up nearly 10x in one year. Like, what is what is that regulation that is that is being talked about? Well, as you know, the single event sports wagering has been illegal in Canada, and uh, there was a private member's bill uh, that's been put forward two or three times, and, and uh, Kevin Waugh from Saskatchewan, I think, felt the timing was right uh, during this pandemic to put forward a private member's bill, would essentially, which would essentially uh, allow for single event sports wagering in, a, in an amendment to uh, the criminal code to allow that today. Uh, it's only allowed uh, by provincial lottery corps under their management and control. And since uh, single event sports wagering is, isn't allowed, that's why you see each provincial lottery corp in Ontario, it's of course ProLine, uh, have parlay wagering, uh, but only they are, are legally uh, allowed to, uh, to conduct wagering. And so this would, this would open the opportunity to have single event sports wagering. Uh, what happened was Kevin Waugh's uh, bill was in effect taken over by David Lametti, the, the minister, the attorney general. 
and they've now turned it into uh, proposed amendments to the criminal code. It's likely to get a next reading, I think the beginning of March. It will have to go through the House and then through the Senate. Uh, the federal uh, legislators are, are planning on federal consultation, consultations to see how this role, how to roll this out. It will include such things as, as uh, discussing the interaction with uh, First Nations uh, casinos and and uh, and other critical issues in terms of how jurisdictionally this will roll out across the country. Suffice to say that the management and control of it will move down to the provincial lottery corps, and in this case, or in on in the case of Ontario, it will be with the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corp, and they will have an opportunity to um, decide how they're going to roll this out. They too, I believe, are, are expected to have consultations on how to roll this out. And it does get very complicated because you've got a lottery scheme today, which would include um, the regular lotterios and, and, and lottos that, uh, and scratch and wins that, that uh, OLG uh, conducts at, at retail stores, the parlay games. Um, and then the online gaming is coming and that's distinct by the way from online sports betting. So currently what, uh, and it is complicated, but currently what's contemplated is that the AGCO, which is the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario will regulate the online gaming. And uh, it's to be seen based on this consultations that are going to occur exactly the difference between uh, the regulation of online sports betting, which uh, the OLG uh, will have in some ways, because certainly they have a tremendous retail market uh, through convenience stores. They will simply, I would expect, turn their ProLine product into single event ProLine products as opposed to uh, Parlay products. But uh, you've also got OLG conducting and, and managing and, and operating the lottery corps. Then the question is, how do the major players, and uh, we, we all know the names, the, the DraftKings, the FanDuels, um, Bet365, PointsBet, William Hill, they're all looking to come in Ontario. I expect that they will be able to come into Ontario. One of the conflicts, uh, quite frankly, Mark, is going to be uh, the retail and the, and, the, and the sports books and how that's exactly going to roll itself out in the future and, and uh, I think that'll largely be a part of, of consultations that the government uh, likely led by uh, both uh, uh, finance uh, and the OLG will have to, to determine how they're going to manage and control it. As it relates to horse racing, we were successful in lobbying the government to keep horse racing out of single event sports betting. So currently, um, the the racing is is treated separately horse racing and uh our big concern was that there is a product out there in in the markets across the world called fixed odds wagering on horse racing which is different from pari mutual wagering pari mutual or pools and with fixed odds um that's a big product for some of these gaming companies a lot of these big gaming companies have their roots in horse racing they're uk companies or australian companies and they like horse racing so what that's led to is a, a big opportunity for Woodbine because horse racing has pulled out. A lot of these big wagering companies want horse racing as part of their product offering. So we've been having a number of discussions with a number of these major operators that are looking to come into Ontario. 
uh, when sports betting becomes legal, which I expect will be in the next year or so. I think it, the legislation should pass as early as this spring, but then we're into six or eight months or more of uh, both consultation and, and practically rolling this out. Well, that sounds very exciting for, for Woodbine and from what you're describing, and I, we're going to get a little deeper in, into Woodbine in a moment, Jim, but what you're describing, you're ready to be on that leading edge of, of when all of this becomes legal and yeah, you have the experience, you have the pedigree to, to be a leader, you know, certainly in this country. I, I think the reason we are is that we're a heavily regulated company today. And when you combine the fact that we're heavily regulated with the fact that we're really the only private legal single event sports wagering uh, company in the country today, uh, there's, there's no other uh, company in the country that legally offers it. Now, it happens to be on horse racing, but it is single event sports wagering. So we've, we've managed it. We've operated it. Uh, we work well with the regulators. Uh, we have anti-money laundering policies in place and have been successful. In particular, we have cash management in place. We have a total infrastructure, including a very robust uh, technology system to manage all of this that will give a potential partner a real leg up to partner with Woodbine. And they're starting to recognize that. And in addition, uh, if we're looking at sports books, we have Woodbine, we have Mohawk, uh, we have been operating the WEG Sports Bar in Vaughan, we've been operating at Greenwood. We may have four of the top 10 sites in the country for uh, potential sports books. Well, I've been to your, your, your WEGs here, uh, which isn't too far from where I live, numerous times, and you certainly have the crowd that's conducive to being a great sports book. Absolutely. Yeah, so that, that is a big appeal. And in addition to that, I, I should mention we have over 60 off-track wagering locations. Uh, a number of those, certainly the top ones, uh, could be also transformed into sports books. So it's, it's an exciting time for Woodbine to play in this arena. And uh, it's nice to be wanted for a change. Uh, it, it can move, uh, has the potential to move horse racing into the mainstream. No, it, it is exciting. And I want, while we're still on this topic of, of Woodbine and your capabilities, I don't, I don't want to leave it. So what I, what I wanted to get into, because I, I know you're, you, you have the technology, um, you mentioned it here just a moment ago. I want to get deeper into that. So in general, you know, in society, you know, we've seen, you know, the baby boomer generation embrace technology. Maybe it happened first with social media in terms of apps and, you know, through COVID, everyone's embracing all kinds of things from, you know, watching Netflix to, to banking. And so if you could talk a little bit about the technology that you've invested in or the platform that you've created at Woodbine to prepare yourself, one, for the, the, well, the single event wagering you're already doing, plus the addition of, of sports later um you know what stage are you at and really the the demographics of it and and how you look at at getting younger fans that might instinctively gravitate toward you know, maybe some of the offshore platforms uh that they potentially have a funded wallet with right now yeah great questions uh we we certainly uh, i would say recognize this um five or six years ago that as, as we looked at the horse racing industry and certainly we were challenged as, as the government uh, uh, reduced and, and certainly cut off the program, the slots at racetrack program where the racetracks in Ontario participated in, in gross gaming revenue from the casinos. We went from that to a, a rental arrangement 
And certainly it was at that point, it was a wake up call for the industry that we have to do better and, and find better ways. Uh, we were, we had grown very dependent on our relationship with the gaming industry. It was at that point that we made a decided turn to uh, recruit uh, a number of very talented technology and innovation people and really turned our focus to our, our HPI system, our broadcasting system. I mean, people uh, take a step back when I tell them that Woodbine has 64 people in our broadcasting department. And uh, it, it, it's quite remarkable how we've transformed ourselves to the point now where 75% to 80% of our wagering is done over our HPI internet system. It, it operates for all the racetracks in Ontario and generally the HPI internet system is used at all the racetracks across the country. It's a robust system, it's easy to use, uh, it's, it's very well run uh, and uh, we're very proud of, of uh, the wagering we do on it. We handle over, we handle a billion six in wagering a year and uh, that's more 2019 numbers, not 2020. Although uh, I, I should point out that last year, even though we dug ourselves in a big hole, by the time the fall rolled around, we had converted enough of our cash customers and our on-track and our off-track wagering people to the point where our wagering was even year over year from 2019, notwithstanding we didn't have any people at the racetrack or at the uh, off-track wagering locations. So we've built a large and robust innovation and technology uh, group. Originally, we worked with Ryerson on, um, we started a, a course uh, to, to come up with technological ideas. Uh, ultimately, that led to a, an app that we developed over three or four years called Dark Horse. Uh, what Dark Horse does is it, it lets you stream the races on your phone. Uh, it has uh, the real selling point, which distinguishes Woodbine of, of using artificial intelligence uh, to help the wagers, uh, especially that new demographic who, quite frankly, don't have the time or the interest in reading the complicated racing form in the past performance charts. Some people love it, but, uh, you know, we'll use the baseball analogy here that the people who love horse racing are, are often the same people that go to a baseball game and keep score. Um, whereas a lot of people just don't want to keep score. They want to watch the highlights. And so we've developed uh, a dark horse to appeal to that younger demographic. They can look at the phones. They can just punch the artificial intelligence in as terms of a strategy. Uh, the win ratio is, is incredibly high. And uh, it's going to be a successful product. And, and we certainly have been showcasing that product, which could be converted, and I'll come to this, um, could be converted to sports wagering. We've been showcasing that to number, a number of the multinational wagering companies, and, and they love the technology. Um, it's not easy to develop an app, as you know, and get all the kinks out. And uh, right now, we, we had a soft launch uh, over the summer and the fall, and then we got interrupted. But uh, we're ready to go and excited with Dark Horse when it gets going again. The, the truth is our tote systems that we use um, can quickly adapt from pari mutual pools to fixed odds pools. So we are very capable of running sports wagering on our tote systems uh, as they stand today. They have the technology. Uh, we're also working very closely with these companies today, looking at how we can integrate our technology with their online data systems and uh, we'll be able to work with them 
And the advantage there, at least in terms of the credibility, when we come to the table and speak to them about our, our technological capability and our views on how to integrate the systems, you quickly earn a big, a big nod of approval from these multinationals saying, hey, these guys know what they're doing. They've got a robust system. They've got a big database of customers. They've got the anti-money laundering. They've, they're regulated. They have the cash management. And, uh, and I think we're, you know, we're hoping to, to work with one of those companies. We're also having, uh, we've had a good partnership with OLG too. Uh, OLG and then the Ministry of Finance have been very supportive of us. And uh, we're, we're partners with OLG in the horse racing industry. So we're, we're looking at how this is all going to work out for everyone's benefit, uh, the horse racing industry and the, and the taxpayers of Ontario. And quite frankly, the, the whole horse racing industry across the country, which numbers, I think, 60,000 plus uh, employees across the country in this industry. So this could be a very good thing for, for horse racing and, uh, and all the people it employs. And in the case of Woodbine, uh, we're Canadian. We have a nonprofit mandate, and uh, we're going to pour this money back into the Ontario economy. Any any profits we make go right back into supporting this industry and supporting this province. That was quite an impressive <laughs> summary of what you're doing there, Jim. And and I know you've been at at Woodbine for several years now, and and to see that evolution and to position yourself the way you are, even through you know a global pandemic. It, it sounds like you're in exactly the right spot to have Woodbine be a leader, not just within the horse racing community, but also, you know, just in, in sports betting across the country. I'm very, we're all very curious to see how this plays out. Um, you know, the, the part that I, I'm kind of stuck on personally, as I talk about the subject of sports betting is really customer acquisition and you know, some of the, 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 the race for kind of to own the household, very similar to many other industries that we're familiar with. Yep. Whether that's whether that's banking or telco, uh, those are very common industries where the, those companies like ARPU, uh, that might be something, a number that you're thinking about in terms of life, life cycle uh, marketing or lifetime value. It's all, it's all really amazing. So I don't want to, I don't want to lose track of time and talk forever about this one. I want to kind of move, move you on to another, another passion of yours, of course, going back into the sports business and media business a bit. I don't know how deeply you were involved, but you know, in your time at the CFL, you did a great deal with with Bell Media. You, I know you have a Bell Media deal with Woodbine for some of your races, which I'm very familiar with. But thinking about you know, sports betting and the other Canadian sports properties, as well as the media properties, you know, for years, they've already been very welcoming to offshore sports books, offshore gaming sites who are technically you know, operating illegally in Canada. But it's, I mean, we all know by now, for those of you who listen to us talk to Jim today. Plus, you know, we had Nick Selsky from Monkey Knife Fight on a previous podcast. We know this is called called the gray market. So my question for you, Jim, is, you know, how much more can Canadian sports and media properties benefit further from a regulated legal betting system? Yeah, listen, I, I, I think there's a lot, uh, a lot to be gained, certainly. Um, I, I think uh, that the the Canadian market is, uh, and you hear various numbers bantied about whether it's $10 billion or $12 billion, but uh, those are the types of numbers that the Canadian Gaming Association and the government uh, um, look to in terms of the potential size of this market. 
I think there's a real opportunity here um, for uh, the, the sports uh, companies and, and, and certainly the broadcasting and media companies in this space. Um, these are companies that come in and, and, uh, and you know, we won't go through the names again, but they're marketing powerhouses and that's the way they gain market, market share. So there's, there's a big opportunity, firstly, for I would say the likes of the big media companies and of course Rogers and, and, and Bell Media are the two that come to mind. Uh, firstly, in terms of uh, sports advertising dollars, marketing dollars, um, that is, uh, that's gonna be a big win for them. Uh, no question whether, whether they participate directly uh, or joint venture or partner and uh, directly uh, still to be seen how how the major media companies are looking at it but certainly there's a lot to be gained even uh, even the the olg is is a major obvious uh, customer of uh, of bell and rogers and and spend a lot of media dollars and will spend more media dollars uh in, in the future um, still to be determined. Uh, you mentioned the score, Bell, Rogers. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not as familiar with with Telus aspirations in this regard, but uh, certainly, I would think there's also an opportunity, as we've seen in the United States, um, and uh, w what you've seen with ESPN, um, with Caesars and William Hill. Uh, you've seen NBC uh, team up with PointsBet. Uh, I think that Fox is getting into it. Um, so you've, you've, you've seen it all. And, and uh, so there's, there's another decision that they're going to have to make in terms of how they play it. And, 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 and quite frankly, where, that, uh, where you can see it and what uh, PointsBet, for example, I believe is doing with NBC is, is that these sports book locations, they're opening up sports desks. So um, they're getting the, the major media companies in Canada, as you've seen in their bylines, are getting a little bolder about this uh, of recent. And certainly some of the sports leagues are today, too, for what would be a gray market area. But uh, you can imagine the day where there's a sports desk in, in the uh, from one of the major networks and they're they're leaning towards selling their brand. Right. Uh, or the brand of their U.S. partner, and that's what's occurred in the United States. And I can see that, in addition to the the major advertising dollars that are going to be spent with this media company, I can see that uh, these media companies have an opportunity to broaden their horizons too. So, very interesting part of the business to play play itself out uh, over the over the next few months. I think that. Uh, that we've seen already a number of these companies, even though it's illegal and they're not necessarily um, conducting business in Canada. Um, it's arguable that if you're marketing on uh, with sports properties or with media companies for an illegal activity for, for offshore uh, conduct of business, but uh, it is coming. Uh, I think it's a positive thing. The, we at Woodbine Entertainment have been supportive of it. And uh, I think uh, the second aspect of your question is how does this affect sports leagues? Well, I think it's going to be difficult for the sports league. What it will generate is, is viewer interest. If you're, if you're betting on sports, that's going to bring viewership. It's going to bring interest. I think that uh, there's an opportunity for sports leagues. And, and since we've been talking about the CFL to, to gain sponsorship dollars um, through affiliating themselves with, with some of these uh, parties that come in in a big way. 
I think it's going to be an open open market in Canada. I I, uh, I think that there'll continue to be uh, potentially some sort of gray market, uh, but the the ones who can come in a big way and uh, and deal legally are, are going to have uh, a big opportunity um, to to own the market in Canada and work closely with uh, with the regulator and work closely with the provincial lottery corps in turn. Um, set up betting kiosks, for example, in uh, in Scotiabank Arena and all the NHL arenas. Um, you can see that sort of thing coming in the future, and that's all going to be legal activity and should be. I don't see the day where uh, the RCMP uh, is chasing offshore uh, people in the, in the Cayman Islands. They're not doing it. They're not doing it today, and I don't think they're going to do it in the future. I think what you're going to see is is some is some big strong legal entrants come into the Canadian market, affiliate themselves uh, presumably with, with these media companies that we've talked about. I think there's a role for horse racing in all of this. As I said, a number of these companies uh, offer horse racing as a big part of their sports book and, and offerings in the United States. And the good thing is um, that uh, the federal government kept horse racing out of it. So they have to come to us to fill that component. and. Uh, so we're excited about it. Uh, I think it's going to be a good thing for the Canadian taxpayer. We're all sensitive to responsible gaming, Mark. But um, you know, again, we have very good programs at Woodbine uh, that have been set up in concert with the uh, with the regulator. Again, so someone can get a head start uh, uh, with Woodbine with with all these policies in place that have been blessed by the regulator. I think it's going to be great for sports in Canada. I think it will increase franchise values. I don't think that necessarily that the sports teams are are going to participate directly. Um, pretty hard to do that. The other thing is that margins are pretty thin in this business too. And I don't think anyone recognizes that. Part of the reason the, the margins are thin, they're thin across the world, and that's because the government takes such a lion's share of the sports betting dollar. So this is a, this is a good business, or you know, these multinationals wouldn't be pouring all the marketing dollars that they do into this. At the same time, um, it's uh, there's not a lot of room for a lot of parties, and uh, I think this is why some of them are being so aggressive today, because once they they come in quickly and gain market share, they're going to have a big leg up on the competition. Well, listen, it's such an exciting time uh, for your industry, for sports in general. I know COVID has soured a lot of it uh, for us because we're not attending sporting events live, and the TV experience has done you know what it what it could do, but. You know, hopefully with the combination of some kind of back to normal, some kind of fans and stands and seeing the vision through that you're talking about, hopefully, uh, you know, by sometime in 2022, there's even more reasons to come back to Woodbine or, or Mohawk. Absolutely. I, I think it will be great. And, and as I said, what it will do for all sports, including ours, is um, there's going to be a mainstream media play here. I think these uh, these media companies are looking to for ways to increase revenue, and that's not only going to be through uh, ad dollars, as I said, but uh, potentially they're also going to participate, and that's certainly been the practice in the United States. And uh, um, when you look at, as I said, what ESPN and NBC, CBS now, Fox are all doing, um, that's uh, laying the laying the road for uh, for the Canadian media companies, including the Score uh, Scores 
you know, their big advantage today is they've got so many million subscribers on, on that score app. And that's, that's a big leg up. Um, but they'll, uh, they'll also, I think, uh, be an interesting, uh, entity to watch and see how they they play because it, it takes a lot of parties to come together to bring not everyone has all the everything that you need here um, so you're going to see parties start to align themselves uh, as you already have and then and then of course alignment with leagues um, you know teams and leagues with with uh, particular uh, wagering properties so that too is going to be interesting to watch over the next uh, I'll say over the next four to six months, you're going to see a lot of activity. Well, we're looking forward to it. And also the way you're describing it, you know, a competitive environment, which is not very normal in Canada. It's not that competitive here, but if we have a nice competitive industry, you know, I think ultimately the consumers will win. And that's, that's, I think what we're looking for. So Jim, thanks for answering all those questions. Uh, When we do the, the backstage project podcast, we always ask our guests some standard questions. We'll see how many you have time for today. But uh, the first question uh, that, that I'd like you to think about. I'll give you a moment to pause to think about this one. But looking back on your career, you know, what would you say is your most memorable moment? Well, look, looking back, <laughs> Mark, we, didn't, we we went a little bit through my history. I've, I've had a lot of memorable moments over uh, almost 40 years now of a career. But I, I think that uh, the real turning point uh, for me is... is uh, I was chairman of Woodbine for three years and then got asked by the board to step in in 2015 and the the horse racing industry was just in a world of trouble. And as I reflect back, um, I think what what I'm going to take away from it as as a a memorable period is is there's 20,000 people uh, in the horse industry in Ontario and over 15,000 people that are dependent on Woodbine. And, um, you know, through a lot of hard work and working closely with with the government, um, we were able to put the horse racing industry on firm and stable footing for the next 20 years. And and I'll look back and 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 very be very proud working with the team. It was a team effort at Woodbine. Um, But um, that was that was probably a real turning point where you felt like you were really helping people uh, and their livelihoods and their families. And when you get to be at the end of your career, uh, I think that's what it's all about is helping people. And, and that's probably been my, my proudest achievement is working through that period. That sounds excellent. And leadership, I mean, that's what it, what it comes back to. And we've had numerous people on the podcast who you know, fit those qualities of being there in the good and the bad. It's, it's not just about celebrating. You also have to get through the hard times. So thinking about you know, such an exciting industry that, that you're in, um, it's an old one, but clearly from everything you've described to us today, it's, it's kind of just getting started, almost born again, especially with the investments that you've made over the last few years. So thinking about people younger in their careers, earlier on in their careers, who are looking to get into, and there's so many businesses you're in all at the same time, Jim, so it's not a simple question to answer, but thinking about young people who approach you or maybe approach your staff that you hear about and looking to break into the, the business, uh, what kind of advice do you have for them? Well, my, my advice to a young person is, um, is stretch yourself. Um, in particular, I get asked all the time about coming into the, the, the sports industry. 
And my answer to that is, is listen, the sports industry is really not any different than most other businesses. You need to do the blocking and tackling. You need to understand how to sell, how to market, how to work the finances. Um, and there's so many aspects to a business. So don't go into the sports industry thinking you're, you're going to stay in one area and that's going to be it and it's, and it's going to be great. You need to grow and develop in the sports industry, just like in any other business. And, and what that means to me is you need to make yourself knowledgeable about every aspect of the business. You need to understand technology. Uh, you need to understand finance. You under, need to understand sales and stretch yourself and challenge yourself. Uh, if you get in the door at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment or uh, one of the media, or if you, at Woodbine Entertainment, which, which I think is a great company in terms of the various things we do, you've got to come in and challenge yourself and try new things. Um, it, it's, it's not an answer just to be close to the general manager. You've got to understand all aspects of the business, challenge yourself, broaden your horizon, and that's not only going to prepare you for the rest of your career in the sports industry, it could be other sports, it could be other businesses. Um, but my advice is uh, make sure you challenge yourself. Always be looking forward. Uh, don't look sideways. Look for upward mobility and train yourself and challenge yourself with skills that are going to take you forward in your career. And don't get complacent because you found yourself in the sports industry, which was your dream. That's that's really excellent advice. Jim, thanks. Thanks for the time today to chat. We're going to be following very closely what you're doing and what the industry is doing. We are too. We are too, Mark. We're on we're on top of it. I really appreciate you having me on today. And it's it's certainly an exciting few months ahead for all the sports and media properties in Canada. And uh, let's hope it's a great success for everyone. And thanks again. All right. And and the send-off will have to be this way. Oski wee wee. <laughs> I'll finish with eat him raw. <laughs> Take care. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.